0: Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're in 2 Peter chapter 1 still and we will read verse 12 through the final verse of The first chapter. That is positive thinking right there, buddy. We'll read verses 12 through 21. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able At any time to recall these things, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now he is about to tell us about an event called the Transfiguration. You remember he was one of three disciples that went up on the mountain that day. He says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading of His Word. Chesty Puller, some of you have likely heard of him. There was only one Marine that was decorated with more crosses of distinction than Chesty Puller. He was a leader and a warrior. He had five Navy crosses and one distinguished service cross given to him. He only had a high school education and he went in the Marine Corps on the bottom floor and he retired as a three-star general that is a feat he was called chesty because he was chesty (laughs) he was a man's man he was a fearless leader and I I don't I probably shouldn't say fearless because a lot of leaders lead sometimes with fear but they lead and I'm certain he said a lot of things that probably everybody around him didn't like but One of his sayings for which he is famous is he was in a battle one time and he said, well, now that we are completely surrounded, he said that simplifies our problem. I like that. It's not a disadvantage. We won't have a lot of distractions. We can't even go in the wrong direction. They're all around us. And that's the way he led. I I would say this. That's the way we preachers ought to preach. We may have fear sometimes. We may know that what we're about to say is going to be controversial, but we need to preach the truth no matter what. We are in a time when we need some preachers like Chesty Puller that are willing to stand and say what has to be said, who will earn the trust of the people that they lead and to whom they preach and and folks will follow them into battle for our Lord and Savior. We need that. Let let me just read something to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've already read it one time in this sermon series, but this will help you to understand how surrounded we are. And listen to how incredibly Paul describes the 21st century, even though He was 2,000 years prior to its arrival. He tells Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Why? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, to their parents. Look what made the list. (laughs) Disobedient to parents. And nowadays, it is like not only are kids often disobedient to parents, it is like our world cares very little about parents. They want to replace mom and dad with parent one and parent two. And they want to erase any distinctive roles that They may have in the life of the child and one of the signs of of true communism is that we know better what your children need to learn than you do. Sad, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, (laughs) unholy. He says heartless in verse 3. This is that word I've told you about that word for love called stergo, it doesn't appear in the Greek New Testament, but here we have the a-stergo. The, we have the, the uh, 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 opposite of stergo. And stergo was family love. It was love for those that you should love. So Paul is saying here in one word, we translate heartless in the ESV, but he is saying people they should love, they don't love. Think about it nowadays. How many times do we just draw back and recoil as we read about a mother who kills her own children? I just, I can't even wrap my mind around it. And I've told you before that when it comes to murder, men are by far, uh, uh, they they murder far more often far more often than women. It is not even close. The only area where women murder just as often as men is in the killing of their own children. That's amazing. Heartless. Unappeasable. Cannot make them happy no matter what you do. You're never going to get the pronouns right. You're never going to show enough regard for this particular sensitivity. I can tell you one day if you're still fighting it, God bless you. But you're going to hate yourself for trying as long as you did. Because you're going to realize they're unappeasable. You cannot satisfy them. Slanderous. Without self-control, they are brutal, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having, and this is where it sneaks in to the churches, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Let let me just give you a a, a great example of that. In in our world today, we deny the power of the gospel when we preach it or teach it or allow people to believe that the gospel is about acceptance and appreciation of whatever life choices a person makes. We have preached that the gospel is a place where no matter who you are, you just come right on. You may identify something that uh, different than that which you were born or whatever. You may have a lifestyle that's all whacked out. You may have something that is in direct defiance of the Word of God in your life. But the gospel has been preached in a lot of churches as if Jesus is all about love. And he accepts you no matter what decisions you make. That is a lie. Because the gospel is about transformation. The gospel is about deliverance. Jesus didn't tell the woman with the issue of blood, it's okay to have a... It's okay for you to hemorrhage every day. You've done it for 12 years, and, and it's all right. Embrace that, that, that bleeding in your life. And don't let anybody tell you you are a second-rate citizen because of it. Just glory in that defection. Oh, he said, no, I'll deliver you. Boy, that's much better than telling her, hey, and there's a group that meets on Tuesday nights, and they embrace each other's fault. No, he offers deliverance. He didn't tell the blind man in John chapter 9 that, hey, being blind not all that bad. And it's terrible that society looks down on you. Even my own disciples were asking me if you sinned or your mom and daddy sinned. Boy, I've never seen as many religious bigots in my life. Do you think that would have helped that blind man more than Jesus giving him back his sight? You see, when you make the gospel into a place where everybody can bring their sins and feel good about them, you have denied the power of the gospel. And what does Paul say to do with such people? He says avoid them. He didn't say try to find some common ground. He didn't say try to listen Realize we all have our faults and and try your best to somehow, another, reach out to them, affirm them in some way, appease them in some way. We should all just get along. I can tell you, uh, when it comes to wicked people, appeasement only breeds contempt. Paul said, Paul said, the Word of God says, avoid Powerful word. Most people would say that can't be in the Bible. Well, and I, I'm sure I understand them saying that because most people have never read it. So I understand it. I, I got that. I'm not surprised by that. They've never read it. They've they they've heard a few verses here and there, picked them out. The ones that fit into their mindset and their thinking and the way they feel about things, that, that has become their Bible. And that is sad. Well, let's take a look. We're surrounded, but Second Peter is helping prepare us for the days that we are facing right now. And we told you that at the beginning. Verse 12, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities. And he had given us seven of them. You remember, we went through them. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter now moves from the work of God to the word of God and he's going to tell us in chapter 2 if we ever get there I'll say it for you but he's going to tell us in chapter 2 that false teachers are coming they are coming and he's going to tell us that they're going to lead people astray and so let's go ahead and, and settle it right now People that are big into, well, the way I see it or my personal experience or the God told me, even if it's contrary to Scripture, if they're big into all of that, they're going to be easy, easy prey for false teachers. If we don't know the Word of God and what God has already said about something then you can have a dream and you're off to the races because you don't know what God has already said about that. So we need to get into the Word like never before. I love the fact that here at Cornerstone Fellowship, and I don't mean to brag but I guess I am we got some great teachers here that teach the word of God and I'm so tickled about that we're about to take a look at the book of James men we're going to start in September go through October in November I'm hoping to spend the whole month on Wednesday nights with the youth doing a world biblical worldview study with them I'm so excited about all of we have so many here that teach the Word. If you're desirous, though, of a lot of, well, I, I felt this or I felt that, and, and I'm not saying sometimes we don't feel things. I, I do. I felt the hand of God touch me before and just kind of give me some comfort in my heart. But I can tell you, if you start out looking for some jolt or some uh, uh Uh, emotional experience, it makes you easy pray. I'll give you just a a little bit of history here. We always talk positively about the Great Awakenings and how we need more revivals like we had then, And, and, and to some degree, I would agree with that. But let me tell you what happened, and it's not that I want to start going to a Puritan church because it does sound pretty boring, because they would read the Word of God for hours. But boy, they knew the Word of God. Then the Great Awakenings came along and guys like Charles Finney began to preach and boy, it got wild and it got loud. And instead of the women having to sit over on their side, they could just mingle everywhere. And boy, they started speaking in tongues and women started standing up and doing things they'd never done before. And I'm not saying all of that's bad either, but I'll tell you what happened. It became more about the experience. Do you know churches in America had never given invitations until Charles Finney came along? There were no invitations. We left that business into the hands of God, and I'm not saying again that invitations are all bad. But what I'm telling you is it became all about how you feel, how you see it. Boy, I went to the altar the other night, and man, the Spirit of God just knocked me down. I was laying there in the sawdust, kicking and squirting. People loved and craved those experiences. So during that same time of the Great Awakening in America, there were some other groups that came along. One's called Jehovah's Witnesses, led by Charles Taze Russell. Joseph Smith came along during the very same time with the Mormon movement. And Ellen G. White came along during the same time with the Seventh day Adventist movement. Because when you get people away from the Word and they start to make it more about what I felt or how I see it, then you've let down the gate and you're apt to go anywhere. We need to learn. The word, and we have a postmodern term that's still popular today called deconstructionism. And when you deconstruct something that you've read, that means you go, "Well, now the author might have meant this, but to me, this is what it means." See how you deconstructed that? You took the pieces apart and kind of rebuilt it to where it fits with your spirit. And and man, I am telling you, I still see that word. I. I, I see Christians put it on Facebook. It, it, it's incredible because it's like, well, I, that's how I found my truth. was deconstructed. Now, I don't care if you read Shakespeare and come away differently than maybe he intended it, but when you read the Word of God and you know that God is the author and you're willing to sacrifice His intention For your desire, that's when deconstructionism becomes deadly. becomes deadly. You know, we want to inject ourselves into it. I remember last December when one of the messages from Romans, we talked about the age of the selfie. And that's where we finally got a camera that would turn toward the thing we love more than anybody in the world in America, and that's us. And so we get in, and we want pictures of the God's wonderful creation, but we want us in it. They even make a stick. If your arms are short like mine, you can hold her out there, buddy. It is like we want to inject ourselves into it. And so when we come across something as human beings like the Word of God that doesn't allow us to bring our opinions and ideas to bear, it is like we have been photoshopped out of the selfie. And human beings nowadays, they hate that with all their heart. Well, I'd like to have a little opinion about that. Or that might be what Pastor Mike thinks. I wish you would never, ever care as long as you live about what Pastor Mike thinks. Because what Pastor Mike thinks doesn't matter to a hill of beans. But what does God think is the most important thing you'll ever encounter. So he says, I'm repeating some things that I have already told you. And I'm glad he said that because I repeat myself a lot. So I'm going to base it on second Peter that it's okay to do that but I know we look at things sometimes over and over he says I want to make sure you got it he says I'm not saying you're ignorant to it or not established in it but he says I want to keep reminding you of certain truths and notice what he says here He says, I want you to be established in it. Sterezo is the word in the Greek, and it means to hold up like a fortress, to to buttress something with a support. So it is a very powerful word. It means to not be allowed to waver or, or, or to wiggle around. And then he talks about this truth. He says he calls it truth. I want you to stand firm in the truth, not personal ideas, not subjective ideas, not how we feel about it, but I want you to stand firm in truth. And then he says, the truth that you have. What truth did they have? Well, he'll get to it later. But he is talking about the teachings of the apostles. You've been taught the truth. And let me just go ahead and tell you now, the teachings of the apostles, the prophets and the apostles, and we'll, we'll see it more clearly in a minute when we get on the mountain here with God. But I can tell you the prophets and the teachings of the apostles and the law of Moses and all of that points to us in the direction of Jesus Christ. But but even as important as that is also the understanding that the teachings of the apostles is a closed unit. It wasn't some ambiguous effort to just get us started. And then now, uh, Brother What's-His-Name can come along and say, I've got some fresh revelation. I've got some new fire to add. And, 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 and so we need to hear this word from God as well. God may speak to us many times, and and He does through His Spirit to apply something He has said. But I can tell you the teachings of the apostles about how the new church, the early church should operate, and what Jesus Christ is all about, and how we can have a relationship with Him. I want to tell you, that book is closed. There will be no need for more additions to that. Let me tell you what Jude said. If you read the book of Jude, you discover that Peter said false prophets are on the way. Jude said they just walked in the door. Jude says they're here now. He says, beloved, although I was eager to write to you, verse 3, about your common, our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. They pervert the grace of God. I go back to what I said before. When we take the grace of God and use it as a license to embrace things that the Word of God has already told us is a sin, we are perverting the grace of God. And he even says it, who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians 1, Paul tells the churches of Galatia there is only one Gospel. There is not another. And there are not additions to this one coming. In Ephesians 2, verse 20, he says, we are built on the foundation of the apostles' And prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. And then if you look at one more, Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and believe you me, they had a lot of crazy stuff going on at the time. They had all kinds of things happening on the day of Pentecost. They had people publicly being raised from the dead. They had all kinds of stuff that they could focus on but it says no, they devoted themselves to what the apostles were teaching them it is so so very important biblical truth well i'm i'm skipping some things i'm going to try to do the miraculous today by god's help and grace and finish chapter 1 he says in 13 i think it right as long as i'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder fully awaken is the word for stir it means you 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 go in there and buddy, uh, I don't know if uh, you've ever awakened somebody that that you you knew didn't like to be awakened. But man, that 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 can be dangerous business right there. You start out, <clears throat> honey. Boy, I, boys, boy, do I ever smell coffee? Hmm. Yeah. People are usually grouchy when you first start waking them. That's why a lot of people leave churches that wake them up and go to ones that let them sleep. Grumpy. Kind of liked where I was. Stir them up. Verse 14. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. As our Lord Jesus Christ made clear, to me. Man, I love this. The putting off of his body is a Greek word, ski Nama. And ski nama is a word for tent. And this is so cool because he is saying, I'm going to put off this tent. It's not the usual word for body. But boy, it's impregnated with meaning. It's a tent. I'm going to put away this temporary. Dwelling As a matter of fact, if you look at God's people for the most part, they lived in tents, because living in mansions down here meant nothing to them. matter of fact, look at Hebrews uh, or look I'll read it. Hebrews 11 verse nine says, "By faith, he's talking about Abraham, He went to live in the land of promise as, a foreign, as in a foreign land." Now he's in the land that God's given him, but he's living in it like it's a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So what? Did he just not like cities? Verse 10 says, For he was looking forward to the city, but to the one that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Oh yeah, he was looking for a city. But not one down here on this earth. He was looking for better days. That's why I want to tell you something. If you believe you can live your best life now, I will go ahead and tell you, you can. I know it's a popular book. I wouldn't put the picture up for nothing in the world. The only way to live your best life now is to be lost. Lost. Because if you don't know Jesus Christ, this is as good as it gets. How's that for a howdy? It's so arthritis. My back right now is burning like fire. Amen. I hope that means Greg's got it too, not just happy I got it. Oh, yeah, I know he's got it. I crack and pop like a load of lumber hitting the middle of a highway when I just try to get up and, and, and move around. And, I mean, I'd love for God to give me two hands again, but I don't think that's going to happen this side of heaven either. But if I was lost, this is as good as it gets, friend. You're going blind and bald-headed. Welcome to the, the, your best life now. You just make the most of it. Because I can tell you, when you draw your last breath, if you thought it was bad here, you're going to hell without Jesus Christ. And you talking about bad, it is going to get worse. So yeah, if you want to live your best life now, be lost. But if you want to not care about what goes on here and never get real wound around the axle about what you have and don't have or how you feel and all of those things or when you live and when you die, if you want to get be set free from all of that, give your heart and life to Jesus Christ and your citizenship then is in heaven Now, you'll still have to pay your county taxes here. That's what they told me. But I can tell you, man, have a home in glory. Look forward to a city that is eternal and not something temporal. And I can tell you, you will never be convinced that you're living your best life now. What foolishness not easy in this life I told you I think a couple of weeks ago faith in this life most of it's about climbing the mountain that didn't move the one that stayed friend the child that God didn't heal the one that didn't come back when he was old to the teachings you gave him when he was young yeah John 21, verse 18, Jesus tells Peter, To the very end of John's gospel, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, and he's telling him about his death, he says, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And I'm glad he didn't leave it there. Jesus went on. Or John goes on and says, This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he told Peter, Follow me. I want to just look at that for a second. We talk about being followers of Christ. And man, that's the commandment we got from Jesus. Follow me. Two words sums up pretty much everything Jesus said about his invitation to us. Follow me. Luke 9.23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, Most won't, but if someone does, anyone does, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So if we're going to tell people we are followers of Christ, what would you tell them if they ask you, well, then where are y'all going? I'm glad, I love the song we sang last today at the cross, because that answered the question. Follow me. Where are you going, Jesus? Jesus. I'm going to die, and you're going to need you something to die on, so dig you one out of the pile, put it on your shoulder, and come on, let's go. I'm not here to help you affirm yourself or to embrace your individualism. Oh, I know there are people who just like to shoot me for that, but I'm just telling you what Jesus said, because who cares what I think? I'm telling you, Jesus wasn't here to help us affirm who we are or or discover what our real desires in life are about or whatever, or to uh, gloat in our personal self worth. No, he said, If you follow me, he said, Peter, I'm telling you, you're going to die. And he did. He died a horrible death. History tells us that he was crucified as well and crucified upside down by his own request. So he died a horrible death. But I can just tell you, Jesus says to him, I know that sounds tough, Peter, but follow me. Jesus had already died on the cross. Follow me. So if somebody asks you, well, I'm a follower of Christ, where are you going? Tell them, I'm going to die. I'm going to die to myself. I am, I am giving up daily in my life what I want and what I desire and where I would like to be in life. I gave all of that up because I want to follow Jesus Christ and I have to continue to do that every day of my life. You know, we need to maybe put that up front that the invitation of Jesus Dietrich Bonhoeffer said is to come and die we shouldn't let people come and make a profession of faith and baptize them and not get into that for a few months we, we need to put that on the front page of the policy that the invitation is to come to die to ourselves. Verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. The word departure, I love it. It's exodon. You hear the word exit in there. But up in verse 11, we didn't read it today, but it says, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance. That is the word isodon. So these two words are, are positioned against each other. But here is the point that Peter is making. When he talks about his death, he doesn't use thanatos, he uses the word departure. I'm not going to die, I'm going to depart. I'm not going somewhere and just decay in the ground. This body will. But he says, I am leaving this world for an eternal kingdom. I am exodon from here and in isodon into the eternal kingdom of God. So I think we have it right, Christians, when we talk about our brothers and sisters who have passed on. I mean, their body may be dead, and hopefully it is if we buried them. these old bodies they're corruptible Paul says yeah that's a kind of a tough thing to face but this old corruptible body's got to lay down we'll bury it in the ground let it rot and stink down there but as believers we take on incorruption and we have a glorified body one day that won't have arthritis wow wow Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Majesty means a lofty dignity imposed on someone. And let me just tell you, he's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us a story, but neither of those three were up there. Peter, James, and John were up there with Jesus. And then two guys showed up from out of town. Elijah and Moses. And so, man, and then it it got crazier from there. But Peter says, I was there. He said, yeah, Jesus looked like a normal Jewish guy walking around Galilee with dirty feet and just like... Very ordinary, but he said, Man, I was there the day that God pulled back the veil a little bit and said, Let me show you what my son is really like. And man, Jesus was transfigured, it says. Mortom is a word, it it's it's a word that that he was metamorphosized, if there is such an English word. He's trans, he was changed. His 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 appearance changed because God was showing them this is what he is really like. If you peel back the flesh and really look at Jesus Christ, my son, he says, this is what he really looks like. And then they heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Peter says, when we heard that, we hit the ground. We couldn't even stand up. We were so afraid. And it says Jesus came over there to him, Put His hand on them, Told him to fear not. Man. Awesome. He said, I was there and I saw it. He said, when Elijah and Moses came down, he said, We knew then that all the law which is represented by Moses and all the prophets which is always represented by Elijah, remember the story in Luke 16 when the rich man in hell asked for somebody to go visit his brothers who were lost, remember the message back to him was they have Moses and the prophets, that's what this means. They have the law and they have the prophets. And if they don't listen to them, they're not going to listen if somebody even rose from the dead. But Peter is there when God Almighty the Father affirms that all the law and all the prophets are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Man, that's awesome news. He said, I was there when God basically told us The one who is the new and living way is replacing the old way. The way to God now is not through a temple full of rituals that you could never keep anyway. He came, He kept them all. So the way to heaven now and the way to God now is through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So when John writes his gospel later, in John 1.14, he says, yep, because he was one of them up there. I, I wonder, people have asked me before, why do you think he took Peter, James, and John? I don't know. It could have been because they were imported. I, I wonder if it wasn't because he was afraid to leave them three alone somewhere. But they did get to see something awesome. They got to see something awesome. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He says, we ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. See, we knew then, no need to doubt the prophets, because we knew then exactly who they were talking about. And everything the prophet said must take place had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He had fulfilled the Scriptures, and we knew it. We saw it firsthand there on the mountain. The prophetic word was more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Yep, Psalm 119 says, The word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But Peter tells us one day, the word of God which is a lamp shining in a dark place will no longer be needed when the morning star rises. It's so cool. The word for morning star is... It's in English, we would pronounce it phosphorus. Phos is the word light. And pharaoh is the word to carry. The one who carries the light. The phosphorus. When he rises... In eternity, He will be the light. And if you got any doubt about it, Revelation 22, 16. I, Jesus' voices near the end of the Bible, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. The churches need to know. Cornerstone, you're going to need to know because you're, you're surrounded. He says, I am the root and the descendant of David. I am who I said I was the bright and morning star. Yeah. Verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, know this, he says, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. And I know we've already covered this today, but just remember that. Prophecy doesn't come from our interpretation. I don't get to look at something and decide that it is prophetic or that God's given me a fresh new word that I need to be out there somewhere, coming into town on a fancy bus and calling myself a prophet and filling up a church somewhere on a Tuesday night. Let me tell you what God did say about it. Jeremiah twenty three twenty eight. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Oh, you had a dream. It's well and good. Don't equate it with Scripture. Because if you do, you're equating straw and wheat. I'm telling you. Did you even know all these verses were in the Bible? You can't. You don't get them watching TBN. I don't know why they don't ever cover them. It just blows my mind. Last verse. We made it. If I don't kill over before I read this last one. If I do, David, you come read it. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. For is a word, you hear the word fairy in it. It means to be ferried or carried by the wind. And what is the word for wind in the New Testament? It's numos. And what is the word for wind in the Old Testament? It's ruach. And what do both words mean? They mean wind, the wind of God. So the prophets raised their sails and God blew them in the direction that He wanted them to go in. Man, (laughs) that's why we can trust the Word of God. Peter says when you start having those days where you go, man, I just don't know. And I think anybody that thinks critically, and I think we all should, I, think we, I don't think we, sh- we, we should just blindly look at anything. I, I think we ought to take a serious look at it. And Peter is offering that to us here. But he's telling us, believe me, I know you weren't there, but I was and John was, and James was. He said, we saw it. If we ever had a doubt about who Jesus Christ was, we didn't after that day. We didn't after that day. We saw it. And we saw with Moses and Elijah that all the prophets and all the law had been pointing toward Jesus and his fulfillment of them the whole time. Man, that's so awesome. That is so awesome. Now, now, all of those things that we couldn't keep, Christ kept them. And he was the perfect lamb that was slain for our sinfulness. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, we're getting ready. Somebody asked me recently, are we going to go out and physically fight these people that are against God? No. (laughs) Because we don't war against flesh and blood. We war against something a lot stronger than flesh and blood. Just think about it. What if, what if the devil was like a physical being? And what if he did show up for church one Sunday? We'd beat the snot out of him. Really? Somebody it'd make the papers. The devil showed up over at Cornerstone. Terry dropped him with one shot to the heart. Seat team landed on him. The rest of the church beat him half to death. I, I wished it was that easy. I get so frustrated sometimes. Do, do you know why? Uh, working in the shop and things like that is therapeutic, especially for me as a pastor. Man, there's so many things as a pastor I want to change, but I can't. So when I'm in the shop, and i got a bolt that's rusty, and it act, Acts like it don't want to come off. Uh, 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 uh. I got some come off. And what I really like is when it defies method A, and that's a big wrench. And then I get real excited when it defies method B, and that's a hammer. Because method C runs on gas. And I not only get the bolt off, I ruin whatever it was on beyond recognition. So none of it works now. Amen. But it came off. I did something. Boy, I wish I could make people happy like I can loosen bolts. I wish I could open blind eyes. Like I can bend stiff neck metal. Man. God says hang in there. You have the truth. Peter gives us some assurance. Don't give up. You're surrounded. It's all right. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, so much for your truth today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.